I have a friend whose name is Bill. He's a Gideon. He's in the Gideon's organization, you know, the group that hands out Bibles. And Bill went to the University of Michigan as a student. He went back to the University of Michigan, which he loves very much, as a, as a Gideon. He told me this story. He said one day it was at the University of Michigan, and it was a bitter, bitter, bitter cold winter day. And he was there to pass out Gideon Bibles. How many of you own a Gideon Bible? You notice when you have a little Gideon New Testament, how nicely they're bound. They're built to last. They're just a nice little pocket New Testament. They have helps in them. They're really, they're really a treasure. And imagine somebody, places in the world, have you ever seen places in the world where you can't get a Bible and they, they fly in Bibles and then the people just crowd in and they just they get a copy of the Bible he was at the University of Michigan and he was passing out these little Gideon New Testaments to people he said to me one day pastor one day on this cold bitter cold winter day he said a student came out and I handed him a New Testament and he eagerly reached out and took a hold of it and then he walked over to a barrel that was burning and he threw the Bible into the burn barrel I, I doubt if anybody in the room today would treat the Bible like that. But then, you know, as a pastor, you go in homes, and a lot of times you see that people have Bibles. I, I suppose maybe if you're a pastor, people put Bibles out when you come sometimes. I don't know. And sometimes Bibles are just to hold relics, you know. People put four-leaf clovers in them, pictures of their offspring, grandchildren, tickets to the fair, whatever they want to keep, stuff in their Bible. I got a call on the phone about 30 years ago. I was in the parking lot of Loomis Park Baptist Church. There was a youth pastor over there. Got a call from a man whose name was Steve Thompson. Never forget it. He said, I'm Steve Thompson. He said, I live in Mount Vernon, Ohio. We're looking for a pastor down here. We got your name from Dan Wisner. Would you be willing to talk to us about being our pastor? Not long after that, I got called to be the pastor down there, and Steve Thompson became my friend. I went over to his house one day and visited with him. Lois and I and the family were over with his family and we're just having a wonderful evening, lively conversation, good food. And we were having a conversation about the things of the Lord and I referred to a Bible verse. And I said, well, hey, grab your Bible. I, I want to show you something. So Steve, who is a leader in the church and a fine, fine young man, we, neither one of us were 30 yet. We, he went back to his bedroom and he brought his Bible out and he handed it to me. And when I opened it, it went crack, which is really not a good sign. <laughs> it was uh, one of those little Bibles that maybe you would buy the cheapest Bible you could find and maybe give to a little child maybe before they learned how to take care of a Bible. This was a, he was a leader in the church, and that was his Bible. Now, Steve Thompson was good stuff. And I wish, and maybe someday Steve will visit here and we'll have him speak to you. Because st that night, I had been given a gift of a, of, well, I, I guess I've been given a, a discount on a, a beautiful leather Thompson chain reference. A young lady that attended the church there worked at Spring Arbor Book Distributors, and she said, I can get you a leather Thompson chain reference Bible for $11. Leather, this is a really good deal. They're like a $100 Bible. So she got me this gorgeous Bible, and I didn't know what to do with it because I have well, lots of Bibles. And, but I thought, well, this is such a bargain. I, I want to have this. 
And when Steve brought me his Bible, and when it opened, I thought, Steve Thompson needs a Thompson chain reference Bible. I said, Steve, come with me. Let's go to my study. I got something for you. We got in the car together, one of many drives that we would take together. And we drove over to my study, and um, kind of nervous, Athens is falling apart. Athens is falling. Um, so um, it's okay. Katie, we'll put it back together. Um, but uh, anyway, so we would go to my study, and we grabbed this Thompson Chain Reference Bible, this beautiful leather Bible. And over the years, I watched many, many times. I had meetings in the morning with Steve Thompson, and he would bring that Bible with him. Many, many times I had meetings with other men, and Steve Thompson would be there. He'd have that Bible. Many, many times he gave devotions. He opened that Thompson Chain Reference Bible many, many times. Over the next 10 years, when we were together, over and over again, Steve Thompson wore out his Thompson Chain Reference Bible. So how do you treat the Bible? How do you feel about the Bible? Do you, I mean, I don't think anybody here would ever take the Bible and throw it in a burn barrel, right? You wouldn't do that. And certainly, I mean, we don't want to be the kind of people that use the Bible as sort of a religious relic that we just sit it around and we kind of have a vague reverence for it. That's what the Bible was written for. The Bible was written by the God who created the universe. The God who created the universe wrote a book in a unique way using men. The God of the universe, the God who created the universe wrote a book. Do you realize what that means? The God who created you wrote a book. And when the people that God created read the book God wrote, miraculous things happen. When the people that God made read the book that God wrote, transformation of the life can happen if the Holy Spirit enlightens those people. Now, so we're not here in a howling wilderness all alone without a guide. We're not dropped into a dangerous world and we're not living by chance. There's a God, a good and a holy God, who has ordered the universe, has created the universe, and created the people in it. And he wrote a book. And the book is the Bible. And you're privileged to have the Bible in a modern language. Many of you on your iPhone, in your lap, right now, you have the Word of God. But will you build your life on the Word of God? Will you treasure the God of the Bible and trust the Word of the Lord? Because if you treasure the Christ of the Bible and you trust the word of the Lord, over the years, people have frequently seen their lives transformed. That's what happened with Stephen Janet Thompson. If I have time, maybe I'll tell you more about that later. Right now, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn right now to maybe Psalm, uh, Psalm 19. And today, we'll have some key text. We want to begin with Psalm 19. I just want you to see something you've seen before. I want you to see it again. I want you to see the miraculous claims the Bible makes for itself. No other book would even dare to make claims like this. And yet, you know, it would be immediately, it would be immediately exposed as a fraud. If somebody wrote a book that makes the claims I'm going to read to you right now, and it wasn't written by God, it would be immediately, it would be laughably exposed as a fraud. Was in Ludington this week. Wherever I go, I find the indie bookstores. There are two of them in Ludington. I can coach you on this. They had copies of the Koran. They had copies of the various holy books. I spent a few minutes just looking through, you know, the Book of Mormon, the Koran, 
They, they don't come close to the character of God's holy word. Listen to what God's holy word says about itself from Psalm 19:7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's good. Yeah. Um, the precept of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are, are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, more than much fine gold, and sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. What am I driving at here? Okay, here's what I'm driving at. I know you wouldn't throw the Bible in a burn barrel, but you might not, you might not eagerly seek the face of Christ in the Bible and build your life on it. You might not do that. And, but if you did, if you did build your life, it'd be transformational. There's a little boy here today. He has yellow shoes on. He's in the front row. We hung out with him this week. We call him Codog Yellow Shoes. That's his Indian name. I'm sorry. I had to do that. I'm the big chief. We had Indian names this week. Uh, no disrespect intended. Go dog yellow shoes. His name's really Cohen. His sister Kira's beside him. Okay, like these are the little kids that are starting life. What do I want for them? I want them to treasure Jesus. They will find him in the Bible. I want them to build their lives on the Jesus of the Bible because I know that will be good for them. Why are we doing all this this week? Why is so much effort going into this? Because there are little children and we know that their lives depend on if they build their lives on the Bible. The Bible isn't just another book. <laughs> the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. <laughs> little Kodog Yellow Shoes is going to get sad someday. Promise. And the, the, the Bible can bring delight to a sad heart. I've experienced that. Have you? Someday, little Kira over there, and your grandchildren and our kids are going to lose their way in this world, and they're going to need to find their way back. And then there's going to be the Bible like a divine GPS that will route them back to home, back to God. What book, what other book in the world could do that? The Bible is written by the God who made your children and your grandchildren and you. And you want to treasure it and build your life on it. When you build your life on the Word of God, people who build their lives on the Word of God, who treasure the Jesus of the Bible, <laughs> you watch their lives. They're not trouble-free. They're not at all trouble-free. Can I get a witness on that? They're not trouble-free, but there's something different about going through trouble when you're in just a howling wilderness of despair and you have no guide, you have no comfort, and you have no help. And when you know that the God of the universe has written a book that speaks to the very soul, your very, very heart and your very, very soul. Listen to this. The Bible is like honey under the tongue, reviving your soul. I watched a man, a diabetic young man, collapse in insulin shock. I wasn't sure what to do. We got him immediately to the hospital across town, and they ministered to him and saved his life. He was from California. I had to call his parents and tell them that he had this terrible episode. Here was this beautiful, strapping young man, literally on the ground, about to die. 
Somebody told me if I had a packet of honey and if I could have squeezed it under his tongue that might have revived him. You don't want to depend on me for medical advice, but I'm just, I'm just saying. The Bible is that way. When the life is beat out of us, the Word of God can give us life again. The Bible is like a, a source of delight. It's like milk, a source of n- nourishment. Like I said, a GPS to find your way to God or find your way back to God. It's, the Bible is like a mirror when you need to understand yourself. There's no book in the Bible that will help you understand yourself like the Bible. As old as it is, it's amazing how it reveals us to us. The Bible makes weak people strong. Good. Bad people good, sad people happy, fearful people bold, ignorant people enlightened, foolish people wise. How does it do that? It's the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about beholding uh, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're transformed from one level of glory to another, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And, we, and, and if you read the context, you see, you see the image of Christ in the written Word of God. It's in the Word of God. We see the image of Christ. It's in seeing or admiring the image of Christ that we're transformed, that we have the change that we know that we need. This is all the work of the Spirit through the Bible. And this is what Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers. He said, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word from men, but what it truly is, the word of God, which which is that work in you believers. Some translations say effectively works in those who believe. The Bible works effectively in those who believe it. And this is specifically what happens. The spirit of God enlightens the truth of God to our hearts, the God who wrote the Bible created you. So when you are reading the Bible that God wrote, you, a creation of God, see the person of Jesus in the Bible, the Spirit miraculously enlightens you to, to, to have its transforming effect or to convict you where you need to be convicted or to encourage you where you need to be encouraged or to correct you where you need to be corrected. You need this. I need this. I want this. I don't just want this for... My kids and my grandkids want it for you. I've seen what it does. Paul said that it effectively works on those who believe. I've seen that happen. And that can, kill, that can still happen to old people. Praise God. Say amen. If you can hear me right now. Yeah. <laughs> love you. I'm talking really slow. Lady told me this week, I love your preaching. The parts of it where you talk slow enough for me to understand you. <laughs> amen. I'll go ahead, get it all out right now, yeah. So let me just say this real slow so you can hear me. My goodness, think about how this is. Okay, so what am I talking about here? The series is, how do we know the Bible's true? And last week, we talked about evidences, and that was just good, clean fun, right? But isn't the main reason the Bible says that you know the Bible is true? It's an extra. It's a little bit like general revelation, right? If you go to the lake, if you go to the great lakes and you look out over the lakes, you see the sunset on the lake, you see the glory of God. If you look up into the night sky, you see the glory of God. But you don't have the full revelation of his glory until we see him face to face, but you have a fuller revelation in what? In the word. In the word, it's like you sharpen the focus of who Jesus is 
And when the Spirit draws you into the Word and the Spirit enlightens you, that's how you know the Bible is true. I'm going to show you that in the Bible in two key passages so I don't confuse you. You would want to go back to these passages this week, mark them, return to them over and over again to see the main idea that I'm trying to get across. How do you know the Word of God is true? It's the work of the Holy Spirit in you when He causes you to seek Him in His Word, and then when you when you seek God in his word then he enlightens you and that is how you know in your heart of hearts that the word is true and this is what the Bible says look in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 we're going to look at 2nd Corinthians 4 4 through 6 we're going to look at 2nd Peter 1 19 2nd Corinthians 4 4 to 6 and keep in mind 2nd Peter 1 19 these are two of the many places in the Bible that explain how we know the Bible is true by a miraculous work of God in us. And before I read them, I want you to imagine like you are young and you're in love. You're young and you're in love. Imagine you're young, isn't that fun, and you're in love. And, and you have this person you want to express your love to. Right, well, you, you, you don't give them scientific facts and evidences right? You don't say, look at my temperature went up, my heartbeat increased. Here was my heartbeat. Then there where you held my hand, that's where my heartbeat went up. That would be weird. That's not how you get a girl to like you. I mean, I'm not an expert at this, promise you. That, that's not how that works. You, 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 you capture her heart. You win his heart. You drop your hanky. You have that certain thing about you that people can't explain, but they don't want to live without it. You can't, you can't write it down on paper. God uses the language of romance, of human romance often, to describe our love for him, our understanding of him. It's not something you can just put in evidence as you can put on paper. It's a miraculous thing that happens when the Holy Spirit enlightens you. And this is where, so, so now we're, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and you've seen this before. See it afresh. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a passage that's talking about spiritual enlightenment. I can find this. Give me time. Um, here's what it says. Uh, I'm going from verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. In, in all of this, Paul has been talking about the glory of God, which is the self-revelation of God. Jesus' revelation of himself. Jesus showing who he is has a spiritual power to it. There's a great spiritual power to Jesus showing who he is, which is the glory of God. He's in that context, and you should read the context. an incredible passage there. It talks about the glory of the law, and it talks about the glory of the gospel. And then he says, therefore, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. In other words, it's our job to reveal the glory of Christ to others so we don't lose heart, right? You wouldn't be discouraged if you were packing. You're, you have power, right? You have an amazing thing. You can show people the God who made them. So he says, so I don't lose heart. And he says, and I don't have to be tricky. I ha we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But we just lay the word on them. That's what he's saying. But by open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the good news of Christ's glory. 
he is the image of god what we proclaim is not ourselves but jesus christ our lord with ourselves your servants for jesus sake for god who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts you see that it's shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ would you please mark that in your bible make a note of that go back read that over and over again this is what you want i'm going to talk to you about exactly how that can happen this is what you want and you want it once and over and over and over again for god the holy spirit to confirm in the deep part of your spirit that what the bible says is true so that you have the courage and conviction to build your life on it in the hardest times when you're tempted not to when the whole culture turns away from it but the spirit of god keeps enlightening you and you continue to obey the lord in that that's the passage there that I was referred to in 2 Corinthians. Listen to 2 Peter. The context of 2 Peter is Peter is talking about his experience in the transfiguration of Christ. And the three went up with the Lord and they saw Jesus transfigured. And he said, we have a more certain word of prophecy than that. It's as if he's saying, if, if you could have your choice between watching the transfiguration and having a Bible in your lap, you should pick the Bible. A more sure word confirmed because what happens when you pick the bible and the spirit enlightens you to pick the bible and the spirit enlightens you while you're reading the bible and your mind hasn't been blinded by the god of this world the day star rises in your heart that's what it's is that beautiful the day star rises in your heart so the very sunrise of jesus comes and lights up captures you this is like I know this is abstract. Track with me, because it's a very concrete, very, very concrete effects in our life. So track with me on this abstraction. You look at the Bible, and you see Jesus in it, and it changes you because the God who wrote the Bible made you. It changes you more and more like him. The things that you most need and want in your life happen as you worship the God of the Bible, Jesus, and you see his glory in the Bible. The day star rises in your hearts. So this is specifically what it says. We have this prophetic word more fully confirmed, 2 Peter 1.19, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Is that gorgeous? And a morning star rises in your heart. Okay, I'm just like, Jesus, yes, do that with me. Right? Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Uh, please let the morning star rise in my heart over and over again to enlighten me to salvation once and for all and to enlighten me to whatever, so we see whatever quality of Christ-likeness we're lacking, so we see the characters of quality, character qualities and beauties of Jesus in the Bible and we know we lack them, but they can be ours through our union with him. And that makes our hearts hungry for him. Okay, so are you ready to put on your seatbelt? Here we roll. Here's a, here's a quote from a good writer that sees this clearly. Can I read it to you? He wrote this in a book. It's a gorgeous book called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. It's a little devotional book about all the, some of the beauties of Christ. Like one of the chapters I love is The Joy of Jesus. 
and, and there's different things that, about Jesus that are lovely. Here's what he wrote in the foreword to this book. The majority of the people in the world will never have the time or tools to trace out all the evidence of the historical reliability of the New Testament. If Jesus is the Son of God, if he died for our sins, if he rose from the dead, if God meant for people 2,000 years later to have a well-founded faith, listen, there must be another path to know the real Jesus other than by rigorous academic historical research. Are you tracking with this? He's saying, you know, you could study evidences if you had the scholarly apparatus and opportunities to do that. If you had the intellectual capacity to do that, the, the Bible will stand up to the most rigorous scrutiny. You could do that. You could find your way that way, but you would still need an enlightenment is what he's saying. But not everybody has that opportunity. Not everybody is wired like that. How did God intend for people to know the Bible is true and know that Jesus is God? How did he intend for that to happen? He intended for that to happen by spiritual enlightenment. He's going to say it's a self-authenticating message. Listen as he continues. This is really powerful. There is another path. It starts with a conviction that divine truth is self-authenticating. In fact, it would seem strange if God revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ, and inspired the record of that revelation in the Bible, but he didn't provide a way for ordinary folks to know it. Simply stated, the common path to sure knowledge of the real Jesus is this. Jesus, as he is revealed in the Bible, has a glory, has an excellence, has a spiritual beauty that can be seen and is self-evidently true. And all the other beauties and all the other haunting magnetic longings of your soul, they all spring from that. He's the beauty behind all the beauty that you ever saw. Or he's the love behind all the love you ever longed for. And so when you see the sunset in itself, it isn't the glory of God, but it expresses the glory of God. And so when you see your little sleeping infant grandchild and you think, oh, my heart is going to break with the beauty of that. That's tugging you to God. When you open the word, amen, Steve? Yeah. When you open the word, Grandpa, congratulations, yeah? When you open the word of God, and when you hungrily long to see Jesus in it, you're doing what you were created to do, and a satisfaction in that will be greater than any other thing you ever could possibly have experienced. The glory of Jesus is what we were made by and for. Isn't that a powerful thing? And so he says, Jesus, as he's revealed in the Bible, has a glory and excellence, a spiritual beauty that can be seen as self-evidently true. The Bible is not self-authenticating, and it says because the Spirit authenticates the message of the Bible, it helps us see the glory of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, to treasure Jesus. And in treasuring Jesus, which is another word for worship, then we change that way. You want to be less grouchy? <laughs> Thank you, Eddie, for your response. I appreciate that. You want to be less grouchy? You gotta love that guy. You want to be less grouchy? Does your wife want you to be less grouchy? Talk to me. This is how you do it. Jesus wasn't grouchy. He's sober. He's joyful. He's sweet. You want to be like him? Then you gotta admire him a lot. And the spiritual, the promise is, if he, if you desire to admire him, that came from Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit. And as you admire him more, more and more, we're changed into the same image 
even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The devil wants you to believe you can't learn new tricks because you're an old dog. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that as long as you, had, you gaze on him in the gaze of your soul and admiring his beauty, that you can be transformed in all the years of life. So you want to look at the beauties of Christ, well, and, you know, your own ugliness. You really got to do that's confession. You say, well, God, I'm lacking in your quality here. And so I admired in you, and it is admiring him in worship that we become like him. And that, you use the word for that. And that's how the word is confirmed in us. So this is a beautiful thing. It is in beholding Christ, his glory, his beauty in the scriptures that the day dawns in our heart, that spiritual enlightenment occurs. That's how you know the Bible is true. You experience the glory of Jesus when you give yourself. And the very fact that you're here listening is pretty healthy evidence that you have some interest that the Spirit stirred that up in you. How come you're not just wandering around Myers today? I went to Myers this morning. I don't know what to do on Sunday morning by a fan. So I, I was looking at the people thinking, well, they're probably on their way to church, right? But maybe not. And it made my heart like sort of sad. Why are you sitting here today and not just wandering around wasting your money at Myers? Why are you here today? You say, well, it was my idea. Are you sure? Are you sure that maybe God didn't have mercy on you and he put that desire in your heart? The Holy Spirit drew you to himself and enlightened you? Okay, so that's good. So lean into it. So when I was a boy, I went to camp. I love to go to camp. I went to this cheap camp. It's literally, I think it was $12.50 a week, and then it went up to $25. That's a cheap camp. Let me tell you some of the things it didn't have. It didn't have mountains. It didn't have water. It didn't have hill. Well, it had water to drink, but it didn't have like a swimming pool. <laughs> you did, it like on the thing, it didn't say bring a swimsuit. You didn't need a swimsuit. You didn't have a swimming pool. You didn't have a lake. You didn't have a river. You didn't have horseback riding. You didn't have archery. You didn't have mountain climbing. You didn't have anything. You had like tetherball, volleyball, ping pong. There was a shelter house. There was a boys barracks. There's a girls dorm. Thank God for the girls dorm and those who occupied it. You know, that's a big part of camp for me. It's like, I know not you because you're so spiritual, but me, I was pretty weak. Uh, but so, so I would go there, and it was, was interesting. You know, you, it, was just, it wasn't well organized. It wasn't professionally staffed. It was an old converted city park. Counselor was maybe a pastor or a layman from one of the churches. He would gather us under a tree in the afternoon and open up his Bible and read it to us, pray, help us to memorize a passage or two in between flirtations with girls. And we have supper at night. And then after supper, you'd all go get a shower and clean up and you'd pass around a bottle of bay rum as not a drink. That's like a cologne. It's wretched. Pass around some Old Spice. All the guys, the 12-year-olds, pass around the Old Spice so the girls would dig us. They were like, oh, you smell like my grandpa. <laughs> Sorry. We would be going to chapel, you know, the, they called it Vespers, but it was just a, it was just a, a place with a cement block. It was made out of cement blocks by laymen that volunteered to go out there on, when they had a vacation, and they just put together this cement block building, called it the Tabernacle. 
and now the bell rang and it was time to go to the tabernacle for vespers and the girls would line up over there and all their loveliness they looked so pretty they smelled so nice you're laughing but that was serious guys are over here you're kind of like not you're trying hard not to look but you're kind of distracted by you file in and they start singing these songs sun goes down fireflies come out cool descends on the camp something happens in my soul what is that this kid who's all thinking about girls and eating and playing and being popular and not being liked and being liked Here's the tug of the eternal on his soul. Crazy, hyperactive kid is actually hearing from God. An old bivocational southern pastor gets up and he opens his Bible and just starts, you know, doing his best, just preaching the word. You're just sitting there going, what is that? What is that? What is that that I feel after I went to the canteen and drank a Mountain Dew and flirted with some more girls and then went to bed? And late in my bed in the quietness, I hear the crickets outside. What is that? What is that? That's never gone away. That God would call me to himself. That when people would sing or preach the word or, or quote the word of God to me, there'd be like, yes, that, right? That's the self-authenticating witness the Spirit does in our life. You want that. You want to lean into that. So if that happened at camp, what should you do? Go back to camp. I tell kids, if camp's working for you, come to a winter retreat. <laughs> Sing the songs. Go to church. Uh, seek God in his word. Seek the face of Jesus in his word. He will never, never disappoint us like everything else in the world you ever put your hope in has disappointed you. <laughs> it's interesting how that works, isn't it? Next week, I'm going to go through some very, very specific things about how to actually do that. But, but, but do you mind if I tell you about Steve before, before we go? So Steve Thompson, the guy with the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, we, we go get that Bible, and then after that, he just gets really serious about the things of the Lord. I was just there at the right time. God was really bringing Steve Thompson to be a, a Christian leader guy. And he was so hungry. So oh, we would go to conferences together. I remember we drove up here to Detroit one day together. We, we listened to, we talked about, we, he would listen to James Dobson on the radio and he would want to raise a Christian family. So he would listen to James Dobson on the radio and, and then he would, you could tell he would implement things in his family to, so that his family would be a happy Christian family. And we would drive, we drove along to Detroit one day to go to a conference. We had, do you remember these people? We heard them over at the Spring Hour Free Methodist Church, Steve and Annie Chapman. Anybody remember them? Steve and Annie Chapman had songs about the family. Here we are, two men with a cassette tape of Steve and Annie Chapman driving to a conference, grown men crying over family, a tape of family songs. He wore that Bible out. He became a fine Christian leader. I wish you could see him today. His family's grown. He has grandkids. He has kids who married in the faith who love the Lord. Doesn't always work that way, but it did for him. He was uh, elected to the school board. He was, he's the vice president of his company now. You know, he would tell you if he was here, someday he'll, maybe he'll come. It's because he built his life on the Bible. It's because he decided to take the Bible seriously. It's because he decided with all his heart to seek the face 
of Jesus in the revelation of God in the Bible. It wasn't something he obviously disregarded and threw away. It wasn't something that he left on the night table. It's something he deeply believed in the very core of his soul, and he built his family and his life on that truth. And you and I can do that too. And the more that we do that, the more the Spirit will help us and will enlighten us. Yesterday, my niece, Emma, sent me a picture. Emma is a grown woman. She's married, lives up in the thumb now. She's been here. She's married a big, handsome baseball player that she met at Bethel College. But when she was a little girl, her daddy, who collapsed of a heart attack and died on 1st of February 2015, her daddy brought her to a father-daughter retreat that I was speaking at up at Camp Barakel. She sent me a picture yesterday of a little brochure that we printed, 20 Ways to Win Your Child's Heart. She said, hey, Uncle Ken, look what I found. I found my notes from when Daddy took me to the father-daughter retreat. Bob Dunbar sought the Lord in his word. So does Steve Thompson. You can see the fruit of their lives so clearly. And I will not promise you a trouble-free life. That would be folly. But I will tell you this. In this howling wilderness that we call the world, there's a way, there's a guide. There's a book that was written by the God who created you. And if you treasure Jesus, who you see revealed in the Bible, it will transform your life too. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible, for this, this church that's faithfully taught the Bible and the other faithful churches around the nation, around the world that still teach the Bible. Lord, I honestly fear for our children and grandchildren. What in the world, kind of world are they going to be raised in? How people are going to disregard your word and rebel against you and how difficult it's going to be. I pray that when others walk over and throw your word in a burn barrel, that we would treasure, cherish the word and the God of the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we invite you at this time, if you, if you know the song you want to sing with Ashley and I, you're